0: If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Coran.
1: That's right, everybody. We are back. This is episode 227. This is, like, this is kind of like a holiday episode. I think this episode is going to end up coming out right in between the holidays after Christmas and before New Year's. So happy holidays. And if that sounds interesting to you, <laughs> if you want to support the show, you can come check us out on that Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And this episode is uh, titled A Mystery. So I've been writing a... It's not literally called A Mystery. Um, I haven't figured out the full title, but it's about... CSS selectors. And the reason why it's a bit of a mystery is because I've been writing a guide on CSS selectors on a very part-time basis, to be clear, for for about a week, maybe a week and a half. And I've been trying to come up with or sort out some of the messiness that comes with trying to categorize or group up different CSS selectors on top of the more useful, what is a CSS selector, you know, what do we, how do we write them? In other words, the syntax and stuff like that. So we're going to do sort of a deep dive on CSS selectors talking about what they are. We're going to get into their syntax and the various, say, versions of them, the various things that you can select. And then we'll get into some of the groupings of these different, of these different selectors as well, and how they could be a little confusing. So I think we'll just, Basically, just dive right in here. So basically, CSS selectors are really a pretty simple concept in that they're so fundamental to CSS that even if you don't know what a CSS selector is in terminology, and you've just you're just here now being like, What is a CSS selector? But you've used CSS at all, chances are, and there's a very high chance if that that's the case, that you've used a CSS selector. So a CSS selector is used to select an element or elements of your HTML and then apply some uh, some styles to that selection. And in order to select exactly what you want, CSS selectors can be written so that they target particular things, like a particular class, an HTML element, and more. And for added complexity on top of just selecting a class, an ID, uh, an element, You can also use things like combinators to combine multiple selectors based on their relationship, like, hey, if this is a child of this, do this. If this is an adjacent sibling to this, do this. And you can also achieve more granular selections through the use of pseudo classes and pseudo elements. And so we're going to talk about CSS selector syntax, but with this complexity comes how to structure your selector. And we're going to also talk about different ways to structure your selector as well. So in its most basic form, before we jump into the selector syntax, let's say, in its most basic form, or I guess this is the beginning of the selector syntax, because it's so fundamental to CSS, is that CSS selectors are, are written right before your opening and closing curly brackets. And between your curly brackets, you place your styles. So you have, you'd write, let's say, you know, what you want. So you'd write, before I get into the specific syntax, you'd write, whatever you want to select. Let's say you write your your HTML element. You want to select all the divs. And then you write your curly brackets. And then inside of those curly brackets, you write display flex or color red or whatever it is. And we're able to group CSS selectors into a whole bunch of groups. And this is where things get really messy. So I'm just going to touch on it now and I'll expand on it later. But there's categories, there's types, there's a type called type. It's a little bit of a mess. And I find that the mess with CSS selectors is not in their complexity. It comes with the language around it. So I've referred to MDN. I've also referred to and a variety of articles on there, I should say. And I've also referred to the spec, the working draft, and also the recommendation of which there's obviously changes between them and one's a draft. But Like there's been changes in how we sort of group up CSS selectors. And so as a complete beginner, if you're trying to learn the theory behind it, it can get a little confusing because a lot of websites will just group it the way they think they should be grouped. And then they'll run with that throughout the lesson, which still gives you how the selector works and what the selector does and how to write it and all this stuff. But it's still very – it's just a little confusing from a theoretical perspective. And so, for example, there's categories, there's types, there's structuring them. Some of these categories and types, the name of them have um, overlapping. So like one of the categories might be pseudo elements, the pseudo classes, and that's also one of the selectors. So you know, before I muddy the waters any longer, I'm just going to talk about the different type, the different. See, again, the different types of selectors. See, it's weird. I'm just going to talk about the different selectors that we have and how to use them. So that we get a more practical look at them and then I'll talk about how these things are grouped later on in the show or can be grouped, I suppose, later on in the show. So the first selector that we have is a universal selector. It's a wildcard character, otherwise known as an asterisk. And this is used to select everything. So if you were to write asterisk followed by your curly brackets, you, you're selecting everything on the page. So you could change everything on the page to the color red and all the text and everything else that the color property can be applied to would just be set to the color red. It's rather simple. Now there are, there is a complexity here that I'm not going to talk too much about where you can limit the use of a, um, of a, a universal selector with a namespace. Uh, that's mentioned in the MDN article, in the MDN article, excuse me, that I will, place in the show notes, but I'm just not going to get into all this complexity on an audio show. The next thing here is a type selector. So this is selecting by an HTML tag. So a type CSS selector selects HTML elements by their tag name. They're written the same way they are in HTML minus the opening and closing sort of the less than and greater than or the chevron characters, however you want to say them. So for example, if you wanted to select all the paragraph elements, in HTML you'd write it as, you know, less than symbol paragraph greater than symbol. That's how you'd write it in HTML. You, you you strip those away and you just write p. So just p followed by your curly brackets and then your styles within those curly brackets as normal. You can also do this with other things like any anything. You could do this with list elements, you could do this with ordered lists, unordered lists, uh, you know, divs, all kinds of stuff. So th- this is a very sort of basic, but also going to be used a bunch in your, in your CSS stylings as you go. And this next one's arguably even more popular. So, it's the
2: class. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Before, before you go on, I think a lot, like, especially the HTML, the type t- selector is probably not used super often on its own, especially in a large mono CSS file kind of thing, because It'll overwrite styles. Well, I mean, cascading depending on where you put it. It could imp- introduce some complexity in terms of like, Hey, where did this style come from? Because if you, if you use a P tag, for instance, and you select all the P tags and you set them to have a certain margin, and then you start, you know, going down three months, four months later, and you have different CSS files that select different things, it can become a little bit crazy uh, in a large code base. Where these are used on their own a lot is in um, component files for frameworks. So if you have a component that's a button, for instance, that has scope styling in Vue or Svelte, uh, you can use the button class, like the button select type selector, because you know it's only going to apply to that one component. It's it's specifically targeting the button of a component now it does its own trickery in the in the compiling phase to make it like that it's so it's doing it like it you can write it as a button type tag but in the background it is obfuscating something so that it's not selecting all the buttons on a page only the button in the component that's how i've seen it used i don't know matt do you use the type selector often in terms of like when you're writing a, a a big website or do you kind of use it as part of a select or part of a combinator
1: um so actually most recently i've started using it here and there um mostly actually in webflow but kind of the same concept in in a way i'm not going to get into all that but the way i would use it is to set things that i want as a catch all so something like Hey, I never want the default font family to ever show up. So I'll choose a font family that I'm happy with. And that'll be my, like I'll set all the paragraphs to this font. So at at the very least, it's showing a font that I'm happy with. And then maybe I'll more granularly change it. If it's a featured paragraph or a paragraph that's descriptive for some reason and needs to needs to have separate styles. But if something is missed, I'll use the type selector to say, hey, make sure this happens. Like, for example, um, uh, links, specifically anchor tags or A tags, uh frequently place, p- people will not want them to be underlined ever. And you don't want to be chasing down all of them. So you go in and you just kill the underline. If that's against the design principle, and we've had that before, if it's against the design principle, I just kill it right out of the gate, right out of the gate. And that's it. And I can reapply it later through cascading and specificity. I can reapply it later if I want or need to. But that's it. I just kill it right away. Um, that's where these are primarily used, and arguably, type selectors as well. In your learning journey, it are very popular in the beginning because you're not sure what you're doing. So you're just going to say, "Oh, I have a couple of paragraphs. I don't have a complex web page yet," because you're learning probably the HTML and the CSS together in so, in in some capacity. So you're just going to say, "I want all my paragraphs," and then you'll start understanding how classes and IDs and stuff will work as we'll get into later. But those are the instances I'd say in which type selectors are most popular and where I use them as well.
2: That makes sense. Like resetting styles. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you you use it in H, I know, I think an HTML selector sometimes, and then you reset the styles of the HTML, a tags, buttons and stuff like that. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. Actually, I think um, most of the templates that I use have that in it. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why I don't use it very often, but yeah, that's a perfect use case for using a type selector.
1: Another big one too, actually, and the reason why I mentioned unordered and ordered lists is um, we will have instances in which at no point ever do they do, does the user want uh, the default uh, styling and positioning of a list, like a bulleted list or a numbered list, for example. And in order to take control of that, you have to go in there and really kind of reset some, you know, padding, margin, all that stuff because it the browser will automatically indent it, put its own bullet point there, it'll put some padding around it, it'll put some margin around it. If you go in and you inspect any um say ordered list or unordered list with some list items in it and you just inspect that with no css applied at all and you look at the computed styles, you'll see a bunch of stuff that's applied to it. Those are the things that you might want to kill entirely and then you you like you kill those off. Because you never want them again against the design, and then you rebuild the lists, ordered or unordered, depending on the context. You've rebuilt those with more specific selectors, and obviously more specific and design-friendly styles. And I mean, to get more specific with selecting, you can get you can use what's called the class selector, so you can select by class. So they're written in CSS by writing a period followed by the name of the class. So for example, in your HTML, you might have a paragraph that has the class featured applied to it, literally by writing class equals featured in in, in quotes. You can then select that in your CSS by just writing dot featured, so period featured, followed by your curly brackets, and of course your styles as well. This allows you to take, or allows you, excuse me, to select all the elements on the page that have the featured class. Barring, of course, any other specificities or anything else, in its most basic form, it'll select all the featured, or all the elements that have the featured class applied to them. Next one is very similar, but is different in how it does it is ID. So an ID selector will select by ID, and that's based on the value of the HTML element's ID attribute, the same way that the other one was the class attribute. So the ID selector is not... Written with a period. It's written using a pound sign or a hashtag symbol, as it's more commonly known, maybe as of today. So you write your pound sign and then you write the name of the ID. So in your HTML, you might have div and then ID is set to classic. So div ID is equal to classic in quotes. You want to address that. You want to select that. You write hashtag or pound sign classic and then your curly brackets with your styles. But the difference here sounds very similar, but the difference here is that your page is not going to crash if you have multiple of the same ID throughout the page. But that's not what you're supposed to do. An ID is supposed to be unique. And with that, your CSS will only select the first instance of the ID. So if you have two paragraphs on your page, the first one's set to classic, the ID is set to classic, the second one set to classic, and you've set the font color to red. The font color will only apply to the first one because a page, if you think about it, is effectively being red top to bottom. It's hitting the first ID. That ID is supposed to be unique. It stops reading. It applies the styles, applies that red color to the first paragraph, and that's it. So an ID is supposed to be unique. Keep that in mind. If you wanted both of them to be set, you could either use the paragraph tag, which might be a little bit too overarching. You could use the paragraph type selector, or you could use a class selector. And instead of using the ID classic, you could have class the class set to the word classic. So that's one way to handle that.
2: Can I just go into a little bit of a tangent here? Uh, Not super related to CSS, but the fact that in general web development, uh, stuff like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, we don't have a compile layer, and we don't have a way to get those compile errors that you would with something like a Java application or a, a Swift application, makes this kind of stuff, specifically like multiple IDs of the same name, become a big problem down the line. Because let's say again, let's go back to like a a traditional example of a, you know, a couple year long project and you use IDs throughout, throughout your, uh, throughout your entire project. And you have a million different files, a million different pages. If you don't know that, Hey, I've already used my classic ID somewhere and you use it randomly, that, might make you go down a rabbit hole of troubleshooting because like, why is my CSS not applying? Why are my event listeners not applying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Uh, which could waste a lot of time. And that's what, when people complain about web development, I just want to, I just wanted to get that out there because it's kind of like a thing that you hear sometimes people being like web development isn't safe. Web development can have errors and stuff like that. This is part of the reason they're referring to because most if you're just using a notepad or even an IDE, most IDEs will not call out that you have multiple class names before you publish your website. And even when you publish your website onto a server, no error is going to happen uh, that, that you'll be able to see until someone notices that a, a class isn't being or like a style isn't being applied. So, it's not error it's error prone, not safe to, to do that kind of stuff uh, in web development. We don't have a choice because that's how it's created. But I just, again, wanted to put it out there that this is one of those reasons that makes it a little bit more difficult and a little bit more uh, janky to code as a web developer.
1: One thing is to consider here as well is it, it reminded me of, a, of a, a website that we ended up not redoing, but fixing for someone due to budget. And the website was built in a web builder I think it was something literally like the Bell Web Builder or something like that, like Bell Mobility. I mean, kind of like <laughs> that company because they have multiple branches uh, up here in Canada anyway. And, you know, the site was fine, but the place did want a specific design. So somebody went in and uh wrote and added a bunch of custom code, but they clearly didn't know what custom code really worked or how it worked or what they were doing. And they added a whole bunch of divs and stuff like that, which, you know, wasn't the greatest practice. There was a heck of a lot of divs and a heck of a lot of nesting that wasn't necessary. But everything, this is the big problem, everything had an ID. They clearly had written, had done their research down to how do I make my styles apply? And that it, like vid. ID, they never read further. They never read about type. They never read about class. And they just ran with it. And it became this major problem. It became this major problem because they they basically had, let's say, headings that were all supposed to be styled the same as one example. And instead of giving it a class and applying the styles once, which was only maybe six lines of CSS, six properties being set, um, they they had like that over and over and over and over and over again with different IDs. ID heading one, heading two, heading three, heading four. And it you know the list goes on. They had this for a bunch of stuff. They had this for a menu. They had this for like I think an actual menu, like a food menu or like a services menu, I should say. Um, so th- it was a mess, and so you can get into trouble with this type of stuff in no code a lot. And it like your 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 comments made like reminded me of that is because you know you're not going to be research if you just want the quick answer. And you, like you and I have done this a bunch, Mike is. You know, you just want the quick answer, so you just throw it together to get it to work. Like, especially if a site's down, and people are freaking out. It's like, okay, let's let's go. You're not going to do the full like like extent of the research, but that that's where like some of the holes show up, where things are done inefficiently, and it's like that's okay. But when it's done that inefficiently and that incorrectly, it almost makes you want that compile layer because, like, even a custom code, uh, let's say widget in a no code tool, might quote unquote compile or check and be like, hey go on here you got too many ids here you know the all these ids are the same or why is everything an id here stuff like that would be super nice i mean his code was valid it was just so inefficient that it was ridiculous let's say the next thing here is an attribute selector so this allows you to select based on attributes that are present So attribute selectors allow you to select an element or elements based on whether an attribute is present or if an attribute has been set with a particular value, meaning that the attribute is present and it's set to a particular value. Attribute selectors are written using square brackets and inside of the square brackets you write the attribute name and or the attribute name plus the value combo if you're trying to target a specific attribute with a particular value. You do the same thing that you would with other selectors. So you still have the squirrely brackets or the squir- the uh, the squiggly brackets. You still have those, the squiggly, um, sorry, still the squiggly brackets uh, alongside the square brackets. So you'd write opening square bracket, write your attribute and your square brackets. Then you have your squiggly brackets. And then, of course, you might have your value in there as well. Now, these are commonly compiled with other things. They're usually put together with. A type selector, a class selector, an ID selector, stuff like that. We'll get into that when we talk about CSS um, CSS selector structure. I just want to do the most basic form of all of these, but it's very uncommon to just write an attribute selector with no other, say, context or scope applied to it at all. Next one here is a selector list. So this is actually a list of multiple selectors. It is a comma separated list of selectors like your type, your ID ones, um, all those things. And it's literally a list of stuff that you want to have the same styling applied. So you might have the featured class, comma, the primary class. And that means that you literally want those two, the featured and the primary class, to have the same styles contained within the squiggly brackets. It's literally a list of selectors that you want to have the same thing. And after the comma, you put a space, just an FYI. I've never tried it without it. I think you actually do need the space. Next one here, combinators. So combinators, this is where you start getting a little more complex. So combinators combine selectors, but they don't just combine selectors in the way that the list does. You don't use a comma. It combines selectors by relationships. So the actual combinator defines the relationship between the combined selectors. They're written using specific characters that represent different relationships between selectors. There are four combinators in total, including descendant, which is a space, just white space, child selector, which is your greater than symbol, adjacent sibling selector, which is the plus sign, and a general sibling selector, which is the tilde. I'll get into each, what each one of those means. So a descendant combinator, which is just a space, it selects all elements that are the descendants of the specified element. Another way to say this would be that the descendants are contained within the scope of the specified element. So for example, if you have a div, and the div has the featured class, and inside the div you have paragraphs and a bunch of other stuff, other divs, and you want to apply the color red It's my go-to. A color red to all the paragraphs within it. You could have, I believe I said it was a featured class, like the class was featured. So you could have dot featured space P in your squiggly brackets and you write your color red in there. What that does is it's saying that I want to select all the paragraphs that are a descendant of anything with the featured class. That's all that is. So you can see how the thing, the, the character, in between the two selectors we have, we had a type selector, which was the P, and a class selector, the space in between matters. So what else can we put put in there? Well, another combinator, like I said, is a child, which is the greater than symbol. The child combinator selects all elements that are the direct children of a specified element. This means if you had a div, inside of it had a div, and inside of that div, you had another div you could, with the child combinator, specifically just select the second div, not the third one. It won't select that third div. That's just one example. Next one here. Adjacent sibling, which is the plus sign. The adjacent sibling selects an element directly after another element. So, for example, if you had two paragraphs... And you want to select, you could, you could, with this, you could select the paragraph right below it. So like, let's say, um, let's say you had rather, uh, a div, like I'm going to do another, another more common example. So, uh, sometimes you'll have like a heading on a page, obviously, and you want the first, you want the first paragraph after each heading to be a different color for some reason, because you that's always your byline or whatever your styling suggests. This is where you would use that, where you say, Hey, you know, I have my heading, which is in an H1, and I want the paragraph, the adjacent paragraph, right after every one, every single one of my H1s. I want that to be underlined. I want that to have italic. I want that to have a bigger font size, whatever. That's what that is. It's not contained within the H1. It's not nestled in anything else. It's an adjacent sibling. It's at the same level in the hierarchy on the DOM, whatever. Uh, I could get into all that. We're not going to, but right after it. The next one is a general sibling, so very similar to the adjacent sibling. The general sibling is represented by the tilde key, the tilde character, and it selects all elements that are the next sibling, sometimes called direct sibling, of the specified element. So I have an example here. Excuse me. So let's say we have a div with the featured class applied to it. Then you put a tilde. Then you put your paragraph. So your type selector P right there. Styles for that would apply to any P tags, any paragraph that are next siblings of the element with the featured class applied to them.
2: Moving on here. Uh, no, no, no. I need, I need more clarity. Need more clarity? Uh, yeah. I need, on, on the general siblings one. So with the featured tag it would apply to all P tags after it or just the adjacent one?
1: That's a good question. So is it? I rarely use this. The next <clears throat> so, that's a good siblings,
2: so it's because your explanation says that are the next siblings of elements with the feature class. So I'm assuming it's all of them. Right. I'm assuming it's all of them because adjacent, the plus means next and after the first one after. I believe, but general siblings could mean all of them. And it's not before, right? Like it, the general one does not apply to before.
1: Okay. So hang on. So I'm going to actually just live. I'm going to open up a code pen here. Yeah, do it. Let's just, let's just work this out. <clears throat> so if I have a pair, let's have a div with a class featured and in there, I'm just going to really put the word featured and mm-hmm. end that. Right after I'm gonna put another, I'm gonna put a paragraph with nothing applied to it. I'm gonna just call that paragraph one. And then I'm going to copy that twice and label it as paragraph two and paragraph three, just in text, not in element or anything. Okay, so if we have dot featured and we have plus a paragraph and we put color. So with the plus, it's only the directly after. It's just the first paragraph. It's just after. Yes. The tilde, in my opinion, should select all three of the paragraphs. Yep. And it does. So okay, it's perfect. all the – it's all the, it, 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 it's a sibling. It, this is where things get really confusing because you're just yep. – like you just kind of do it. It's a, it's a sibling selector. It, it's you, basically saying anything that's a direct sibling. If I had another div in here, like let's say, for example, I have another div. So if I'm reading down the page, I have like div class featured Then I have not within the div – And then I have paragraph, paragraph, paragraph. Then I have another div. And the other div just has literally the word div in it. And then I have another paragraph and it just says test. It will select that other paragraph because it's still a sibling and it's
2: still a paragraph. Will it select – can you put a paragraph above it? You know what I mean? I
1: I do not believe so, but let's check. I'm I'm going to cut my test. Yep. I'm going to put it above it. No, it does not because of the reading. Okay, the so only, the,
2: only after. So everything after the featured class, all the pe- paragraphs after the feature cl- class are selected if we use the tilde key. Okay. Correct. Cool. We, we solved it. Thank you. Okay.
1: Next uh, thing here is pseudo classes. Now, these things get confusing because you got pseudo classes and you got pseudo elements. So let's, like, let's straighten that out right now. So pseudo elements select things based on state so for example a state might be you're hovering over a button with a mouse that's a state hover right or a form field you know whatever like you're hovering over a form field maybe you want the mouse to do something different or whatever the heck whatever the heck it is so when written pseudo classes are always prefixed by a single colon followed by the name of the pseudo class and the names of the pseudo classes aren't declared by us the developer Instead, they're pre-existing names that represent various element states. They're also commonly written with an accompanying selector in order to select a particular element state. So for example, like, you know, you have your dot button, so you have a button class, and then you want to apply a certain style to when a button is hovered over top of. Now, there are several pseudo classes that we can use. Some of the most common are hover. Visited and required. So hover selects elements that have a cursor hovering over them. They're being hovered over, makes sense. Next one is visited. This selects links that have been visited before. That's why you see in sort of the default, uh, the, the, the default styling that most browsers do. If I have a hyperlink, it's just blue. If I click it and then click back, that goes more of a purpley color because it's been visited. Next one is required. It will select input elements that have a required attribute applied to them. You might want to outline these with red text or um, apply a different font style to it or whatever your design calls for, but you, you want to bring attention to the fact that these are required. Often done with an asterisk, you could do that with a before pseudo element which we'll talk about in a minute or an after or whatever, but it it, it will it will select elements that are that have the required attribute applied to them. It's like input elements that have the required attribute, attribute applied to them. So the next thing then is pseudo-elements. So what is that? Well, pseudo-element selects a piece of an element. It does not select the actual element itself. These are written with two colons, prefixing the name of the pseudo-element. So like with pseudo-classes, us developers don't declare the names of pseudo-elements. They're pre-existing within CSS itself. And just like pseudo pseudo classes, pseudo elements are often combined with an accompanying selector so that the pseudo element can select a piece of the accompanying, accompanying element, like a button you want to select before or after the button, for example. Now, there's a lot of pseudo elements. Again, we're not going to get into all these things, but very the three most common that I use anyway are before, after, and selection. So before selects the area directly before the selected element. Commonly used for inserting something before the element using the content CSS property. So this is where you might get into where you combine the two selectors where you select a required input field and then you alt, then you use the before to input an asterisk or something. And then CSS is handling that relationship so that in all your forms, you're not mainly putting in another div that has a, you know, it, another div that has to be positioned just so with an asterisk in it and stuff like that. After is very similar. Selects the area directly after the selected element, commonly used for inserting something after the element with the content CSS property. So very similar to before, just literally goes after. So if you, have, if you literally had a paragraph, um, if you really have a paragraph, for us, it'll be like literally on the left. Before is right on the left. If you do in an after it's right to the right so you can add it like your asterisks to say that something's required you know to the left of the thing or to the right of the thing and you can also move that around with a position absolute and a bunch of other styles as well but that's just the basic form of before and after and the next one is select is selection which is which selects the area of an element that the user has selected or highlighted So you might not like the default, more bluish color of most browsers. When you're selecting text, you might want it to be red or purple, or you might want it to underline the text and you don't, you know, you don't want the color, the list goes on. So that's another common thing where you might want to make it match your brand. You want to have it like be red or blue or whatever the case may be. Those two always used to get me because I always, and and, and I still forget them again. A lot of this stuff, we're talking about it very granularly, and that's why the confusions happen like we just have with the general and the adjacent sibling. Because when you're ripping through this stuff, you just rip right through it. You're used to it, and you just, oh, I need to select this, that, other you know, thing. And even if you make a mistake, you just – it's a quick like, oh, I'm supposed to put a plus here. This is an adjacent sibling, not a general sibling. And you just quickly go through it without the thought of the theory. But when you get really into the theory, it starts getting really like – you're like, whoa, what is going on? Like what is going on here? And so I constantly forget the differences between a, a a pseudo element, a pseudo selector, in terms of the theory, in terms of their names, in terms of this. Because to me, I know I just put a single uh, colon for hover. I just know that, for example, and I use hover all the time, or I use visited all the time. I use required not all the time, but pretty often. Um Before and after, I use a heck of a lot, and then selection I've actually just started using um, as a part of another client's branding that they wanted. So, thing like it's just it again. These are just things that you just pick up on, and you're just like, "Whoop, missed a coal in there," and you just rip through it. So, when you dive into the theory, of this stuff it starts getting really um kind of meaty and kind of like whoa. But again, like as we said before, CSS selectors are really like a, a a simple can get complex, but they're so fundamental to CSS that if you're writing in CSS, you'll just muscle memory this stuff
2: eventually. So, before and after, especially for me, are still. Uh, they're not confusing. I understand what they are. It's always a question of like, when should I use it? And also, I tend to avoid using it as much as possible. Obviously, it's required for many things, but I tend to avoid using it as much as possible, because it's a, a, a nightmare to debug. You can't go into your inspect element dev tools and change your before and after classes, you can see them, but you can't change them because that's how I debug CSS. I will go and open up dev tools and i'll literally just start typing css in there and figuring out what's wrong and what i want and then i just copy paste that into my actual css file um that's how i debug it and that's not how i write it obviously so anytime i use it before and after that part gets really annoying for me so i have to go to change anything in the before and after i will have to rebuild the server now with something like vite or svelte kit or whatever it's fast but it's still not as fast as does going it, to the dev tools
1: when it compiles down does it not have the before and after pseudo in there so it in, does. in like chrome what it, what it should do is it, if let's say you 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 were addressing or you added something to the before of a paragraph you could select that paragraph but when you select that right above it it should have the before
2: yeah, it does, but you can't change it in the dev tools.
1: Oh, I see. You, you specifically yeah. want to change it in this. I want to
2: change thing. it in the dev tools so that I can see what it, what it'll do. Like, for instance, CSS art. Like, if you're ever doing any sort of art with CSS, that's all before and after. Like, those are like. Oh,
1: there's a bunch of that. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, it's an insane amount of complexity inside the before and after classes with position absolutes and stuff like that, because it, it allows you to, you know, position an item relatively and then use the absolutes of the before and after to put a bunch of crazy stuff around it. Like I don't do that. I want to be very clear. I'm not a CSS artist, but whenever I see CSS art, it's like, I don't know how they do it because it's like they have to rebuild every single time. I mean, code pen ha- handles a lot of that for you if you go into it, but regardless, I like to avoid it as much as possible, even though it is, it's required for a lot of things that you do.
1: I, I, Honestly, like it's not super required. It's just that it's very convenient to use sometimes, especially when something has been really, really kind of designed to a point where uh, like a lot like we, we've dealt with a couple things where we need to just put in some custom CSS into a builder and we just need to enter like a little tiny style or a little like asterisk or something um, before a certain paragraph that was built in Elementor or Webflow or something. And, or like a site builder is probably like a, like a, like a, Beb, a Bell website builder or something. And I, I have used the before and after just to quickly do little things like that instead of trying to be like, where is that in the file system? Where, you know, if it's just a quick little fix or I need an asterisk or something, that's what I'll do. That's what I use it for. And again, like you said, for drawing and or CSS art, of course, it's going to be used a whole bunch in a lot of other websites. I'm sure that people have come up with innovative uses for it as well. They'll, they'll end up using it. Um, so the next thing I think we should talk about, cause we've talked about it already with combining CSS selectors and stuff is the structure. So CSS selector structure, and there's a, a few different ways to structure your CSS. One of them is confusing and we're going to have a discussion on that. Um, first one is a simple selector. So a simple selector refers to a selector that only contains one component. For example, it may just select one class or maybe an ID or just one element or one pseudo class or whatever. It's just going to select one thing. That's a simple selector. Those are the most basic, I would say, of CSS, like that CSS can get. The next one's a compound selector. So we started talking about this when we started talking about pseudo classes, pseudo elements and stuff. And there's a compound selector, which which selects a collection of simple selector. excuse me, Compound selectors are a collection of simple selectors that are not separated by a combinator. So for example, an A tag, a link slash an anchor tag, you might want all the link tags, the A tags, that have the featured class applied to them, have a different font size. You literally can go A dot featured with no space, squiggly brackets, and then put your styles in there, and that will select all A link or anchor tags, not the actual link tag. I'm going to be clear. <laughs> Any a tag with the feature class applied to it, it'll apply those styles to it. You do thing, do this with other things as well. Like I've seen people where um, there's like a, a collection of content boxes and they're all in divs. And so the first one is labeled, uh, or it has the idea of primary because there's only one first one, so you could do div hashtag primary and then put your styles in there and maybe that first content box has a a a more bold font or has a, a a brighter in um bright brighter background color or something to sort of mark hey this is where our content boxes begin and then you could start reading you know left to right or up and down or wherever you need to go from there. The next one is a complex selector. So complex selectors are made up of simple and or compound selectors that are, that are separated by combinators. You're not limited to just two simple slash compound selectors with a combinator. Like you can have, you know, kind of multiple of them. And you can have a lengthy sequence of these simple and compound selectors separated by a whole bunch of combinators. And remember that a white space, like a little bit of white space or a space, literally hitting the space bar is actually a descendant combinator so it might look like like what's going on here the reason why i mentioned this is because and when i was first starting css i messed this up a lot so in our fir- in that last example with the compound selector i would do let's say a dot featured and my my featured links would not work like, they'd be like what the heck's going on here that was because i didn't realize it i was putting a space in between the a dot featured thinking that it wasn't a big deal because the the space that comes before the squiggly brackets is optional. Some people do it. some people don't. I like to do it And so I just thought it was optional and no idea and I kept messing that up messing that up not realizing that the space itself is actually a combinator so something to keep in mind. So an example of a complex um, selector might be something like you want to select a link so an a tag and anchor tag. you want to select a link that has um, that is within a featured div. And the feature div is identified literally with the ID featured. So you go div hashtag featured. That's your, that's your, you know, there's no space in there. There's no nothing. That's your compound selector. And then you put a space, right? Then your a tag. So you're saying any link, any a tag that is a descendant of divs with the featured ID applied to it. That's how, that's how that works. And there's a bunch of other examples. Obviously there's a whole bunch. You can have multiple, like you can have a, you know, a a main content class that's or like um a, a link that's like a child of H1s that <laughs> you know I like you could I go into this crazy thing like a link that's a child or it's, it's an adjacent of H1s that is a descendant of main content classes. This is where selectors get really big and this is how CSS gets really complex because it's not that one or two selectors is complex like this. And I don't want to get into the syntax too much because it's gonna get messy in an audio show. But if you have a bunch of selectors like this and they're all working together and then you kill one, you're like, oh, I finally found the one that's messing up my font. And so you fix it and then it doesn't work. And you're thinking, why is that? And then it's because another selector has come in to take the place of the one that you just killed. And it's this like whole kind of battle between all this stuff. So a little bit of a mess, but um, that's, com- that's complex, complex selectors. H- hence, hence the word complex. Um the next one here, as we've already mentioned, so this is this is going to possibly start the conversation on the weirdness of how this stuff is written out. Um, but a selector list. So we've already mentioned a selector list as a type of selector. It's literally like putting your selectors in a list. So like maybe the featured class selector, comma space primary class selector, and you're literally selecting the featured and the and the primary classes this is one of the structures because it is a kind of a structure or it is a structure of how to write your CSS, but it's also a type of the thing. And I'll, and again, I'll get into that in a second, but not before we talk about relative selectors. Now, relative selectors, Mike and I had a conversation on this. I re I researched this. I'm getting, I've found guides that talk about relative selectors that aren't this. And I'm just going to read you the, a quote, a quote of what a relative selector is. Uh, from MDN. So a selector that represents an element relative to one or more anchor elements preceded by a combinator. Relative selectors that don't begin with an explicit combinator have an apply, uh, excuse me, an implied descendant combinator. So they basically have in their examples, the beginning of their selector starts with a combinator and then they go and select other things. And Mike and I tried to get this to apply to stuff. It wasn't working. We didn't spend like a copious amount of time on this. And I went looking for it. I thought, hey, I'm misunderstanding this. Let me look it up. I found guides that did not show this and then say that they were doing relative selectors. And someone on uh, Twitter, Mike, uh, I don't know if you want to name drop there, but.
2: Yeah, Eric, I I am Ponte. I believe his uh, Twitter handle is. Thank link you, will be in
1: the link will be in the show notes but he had a good point where you know he didn't use the um you know the beginning of the selector like the beginning of his selector did not have a combinator what he has here is he has an h2 so a type selector and he's using the has um pseudo element and then he's in brackets is doing plus p so he's saying and then he's applying the color red so he's saying that if a p tag comes after an h2 make the h2 color red so he's using a relative selector later on in the in the um selector we might be wrong here like mike and i have discussed cutting this part from the show you know we're not 100 experts on absolutely everything so you know thank you eric for that if there's any if there's any um I'll, i'll include a link to the uh to the code pen as well but if there's anyone out there that, you know, that this is incorrect, because I've read the spec, we've read the, the the MDN, and in the MDN, we think this is an error, but anchor elements is a link. When you click on that, it literally takes you to an anchor element, like a link tag, like an A tag, is, is what it's taking you to. Yeah. Um, That's and it's like, well, hang on, like, an element relative to one or more anchor elements, but it starts with a combinator, and there's a descendant before it. And then I thought, okay, well, since there's, you're putting a combinator... And you're not putting anything else. It must be referring to the, um, it must be referring to the HTML element because if you just do like colon colon root, you're referring to HTML like the HTML element. So I was like, oh, maybe this is referring to the HTML, like the HTML element. So I was trying to like get it to relationship down into like a paragraph that I had on CodePen, and I could not get it to work. And I went to the spec, and there's no examples. Now the spec in which this is in is a working draft, so maybe this is just a bit of a mess right now, um, that may, that may very well, that may very well be the case. Um, and sorry, it's a pseudo, I think I said pseudo element for has, it's actually a pseudo class, but anyway, beyond that, um, this is where I just want to talk about like the kind of the bulk of the, the, the logic of this episode is kind of over and I'm writing a guide on this. And I, and I, this is, this little section here is more for the beginners. I would say that are confused because they're reading the theory of CSS selectors. So grouping selectors is a, a dang mess. Seems very easy on the, on the surface, but it's just a mess of organization. And I wanted to bring people's attention to this because, for example, I'm on a fresh incognito window. I'm on google.com. I type in the words CSS selectors. And under the little accordion section, the people also ask, they have, what are the five selectors in CSS? What are the four selectors in CSS? And I've messed around with this keyword set, like what type of CSS selectors and this and that. And I've gotten one that had like 15 at one point, um, people also ask, and a bunch of them were relevant, but it was like, what are the three type of selectors? What are the four type of selectors? What is the five? What is the six? What is the seven? And it's like, what is going on here? It's because clearly people are going on to websites that are, they themselves, those websites, those guides are grouping selectors for the use of their guide. And it's not like an official grouping. Then you go to MDN and there's like grouping in here and it's a mess. So I just want to bring, again, I'm bringing attention to this because it is kind of confusing. Like for example, MDN has uh, the categories of CSS selectors and they have basic grouping combinators and pseudo classes slash pseudo elements so something like basic selectors includes things like universal type class id and attribute Th- that makes sense you got your grouping selectors as well your combinators all the rest of i'm not going to go down the whole laundry list but then they also want another page admittedly i believe it's it's quoting another a different version of the spec but still they have types of CSS selector. See where this is trying to get confusing. And the first type of, t- of CSS selector is type, class, and ID selectors. And then the, un- the other types are attribute selector, pseudo classes, and pseudo elements, and combinators. Where's the universal selector? And so when I wrote this, I put everything under the types, wrote all the types, and I was like, wait a sec, where do I put the universal? So I was like, well, maybe I need to write a little piece that says universal selector, you know, doesn't fall under this category, categorization. But then I found categories and I thought, oh, categories would be a good place to put it. But I'm like, man, like we're trying to put these selectors under these specific groupings. And I understand, like, I've read the spec. I've read the working draft. I've read the, um, the, uh, recommendation scan. then the whole thing. Obviously I scanned through the parts that were relevant to what I was researching. And so I just. I wanted to bring attention to this in that if you are going through this, this in a very theory way, in a very sort of school, school schoolish theory way, this, this gets confusing because you're like, Oh, there's categories, there's types, but then like this one doesn't fit in here. Oh, there's this and there's this and there's this, but this one doesn't fit in here. And then also I love how the types have pseudo classes and pseudo elements, but also the category has pseudo classes and pseudo elements as the name of it. And it's just, it's just. It's a disaster. As we've already said, there's also like we we talked about one of the we talked about a selector list, which is effectively a let's just say a version. See, look, like <laughs> now I'm grouping them in versions. This is like a, a, a this is a a version of a selector. This is like one of the ways to write a selector. This is like a bit of the syntax, but it also falls under selector structure. And of course, you're going to have some of these elements roll over to one another. But this was the first time I've ever actually like really dove into the spec with the thought of actually going to write about it and like try to clear it up and it was a mess like this is a mess like like we said with the relative selector i i couldn't find an example of this i only look for 10 or 15 minutes because i'm not going to spend you know a whole bunch of time on one little section but clearly it ain't that important or at least i don't think it's that important you know maybe because it's in the working draft or this and that but my guide that i'm writing which i've written most of it i hope you know, kind of brings light to some of this and just clarifies this stuff so that when you're in here, you're like, okay, this is one way to group them. Effectively, these are just almost like they are spec driven to be clear. So there are like quote unquote official, but they're just ways to group selectors. But it, in terms of you using them in the real world, you don't care whether it's a class and ID or this and that you don't care about the theory around it. You want to be able to select the element slash the elements that you want. On the page in the most efficient way possible, with whether it requires a more complex you know list of selectors, literally a complex selector in structure, combinators, no combinators, this and that. The goal is just to select things, and so to not get bogged down in well, what type of this? You know, is there only four types? Is there six types? Is there is there this? Is there that? Just something that I wanted to share here because this was for me trying to write it. I'd start writing and then I'd realize, hang on, there's a hole here. You know, where's the universal? Hey, hang on a second. Are Combinators in here? And then, oh, no, they're somewhere else. Hey, why is list in two places? Why is Combinators in two? What's going on here? And then it just became this like really confusing whatever. And yes, I again, recommendation of the spec versus the working draft. I get it. It's a draft versus a recommendation. I get it. But I just wanted to bring it. (laughs) I really wanted to bring attention to this. This might be, you know, a rant at this point um, for anyone who's like, you know, I'm not getting anything out of this, but for anyone who's tried to read through this and like take notes, like I'm sure this was confusing because just for me, it's like, see, it's the selectors are so simple in that. Sure. You know, I might be a little bit confused about a sibling or I might be a little bit confused about this, but I can look that up directly and figure it out. But when I'm trying to write my notes, I'm trying to write down what type of selectors are there. Are there five Are there four Are there three or there two or there one? And it's just this big mess. And then why is type? Why are one of the types, why are one of the types labeled type class and ID? Like, (laughs) it's just, it's just an organizational, in my opinion, an organizational mess. So, you know, cut through the noise and just learn how to select the element or elements that you actually want to select. End rant.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to lie. CSS is always going to be kind of a black box for me. Uh, I use what I need to use, and that's it. Uh, I mean, I use Tailwind a lot. I use SCSS a lot now at this point. So, it's all melding together. So, something like what you're creating now, Matt, is going to help me personally, uh, just to get a good baseline of what is SCSS and what's SCSS and stuff like that. I always kind of preach, you know, learn the basics as much as possible before jumping into a framework. So, Maybe this is my time to, you know, jump in and fully learn CSS so that I'm a little bit better at debugging and writing it, uh, even if it is just to get a basic understanding to learn to use the frameworks like SCSS and Tailwind better.
1: There is one thing to consider here as well, and this is probably controversial, but there's a lot of auto completers out there, auto fillers, whatever, that will – you start typing in what you want and it will fill – it will suddenly fill like, you know, display block or it'll, you'll write like, the, like D I or both right display and it'll fill display. I think all that you should not do if you're learning it. I did the same thing with media is I kept copying and pasting, copying and pasting, copying and pasting media back in the day, uh, media, um, queries. And I just never knew how to do them. And I never really understood them. And I, I tweaked one to be like where I would want most of my sites to be. And then I, just kept using it and using it. And that's, that's a very helpful tool, having a little snippet that you use. But when it came time to adjust that, I couldn't do it like off the top of my head. And it's not a big lookup, you know, it's not a big lookup, but it's also not a lot of work just to type it out. And I just started typing stuff like that out. And I know like I I definitely underutilized tools that would help my productivity in that way. But in terms of me personally, my learning style maybe. I just typed everything out. Just type it out. And then I eventually just memorized it. And I probably even forgot some of it now because this was a number of years ago. But when I was using a heck of a lot of media queries, it just became a lot easier to just be like, oh, at media max width is equal to, you know, the whole thing. So that's, uh, that's CSS selectors. (laughs) What a mess sometimes. Um, honestly. You know, you can get around as a, as a kind of a closing note, if you're confused by any of this stuff, like your class, your ID and your type selectors are pretty, you know, the basics, let's say the list is probably pretty basic as well. And um, even putting them together, so like maybe not, maybe, maybe combinators combinators is where I would think it starts getting complex. You can get around a lot of this stuff. By like nesting divs in a certain way, doing stuff like that. And I did that in the beginning for a long time. Never really used combinators, you know, and I still don't use combinators like a heck of a lot. Um, but, you know, like Mike said, like maybe it's time sometimes to just learn this stuff. Because if you ignore all the, the you know, which categories is falling under, what type, what this, what that, and you just like really take a look. Instead of you having another div for your asterisk marking that your field is required, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, you could just use a pseudo element. You could just use a little pseudo element, put that in there, and that's it. You know, you could put in, you could say, hey, like, you know, is this, or a pseudo, um, see, I messed that up again. Uh, you could put a, a pseudo class. You could, you know, with your pseudo class, you could select the required. And again, like I, like I just messed that up again. Um, you're going to mess this stuff up because you're not constantly in the theory of it. And I, like I'm trying to present a really, real example of this. This says a school where you're constantly learning and reiterating the theory, reading the textbook. But as long as you know that you wanted the required thing, you accidentally put an extra colon. Oh, Whoops. You know, oh, forgot an extra colon. It's, it's just an easy fix. So just to, to generally understand these ideas and these concepts to be able to select what you want, to understand that there are more advanced ways to do it. And to be understand those enough to be able to Google those, I think would be enough for you, Mike. That's my that that's sense. my thought. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, but that's that's the conclusion of our CSS selectors episode. Uh, this guide hopefully will come out at some point. A uh, little bit of a mess. I might cut down some of it. I might remove some of it, whatever. Um, but I hope it, it is helpful. I, there is, I, I mean, just going through this article, cause like it's a kind of like my, my working draft, <laughs> if you will. Um, I think I should explain adjacent and general siblings a little better. So maybe I'll put a, a better example in there or maybe I'll have an example article down the line or something, but I uh, hope you found this valuable and, uh, if you found if you if you found it valuable, or if you want to support episodes like this, you can uh, catch us on the Patreon. That's patreoncom slash things. And many thanks to our three-dollar tier patrons: Ryan Gatchell from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com, Chris from Selfmade Web Designer, SelfmadeWebDesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on um, WebHacker.com, Bib Hash from Nine Block Media on NineBlockMedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, and FireAntSeason via FireAntSeason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform that you're listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off.
0: You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast Signing off.